How is everyone? Oh, wow. That was incredible. You are awesome. I sent him uh, with a task right after first service, and I, I did not think he would complete it. I'll explain that in a little bit. But uh, happy 4th of July. It's not every day. I'm surprised security didn't just come and tackle him. Just kidding. He's shaking his head. Happy 4th of July weekend. Right? Celebrating our independence. Um, record number of people uh, this year missed the 4th of July fireworks. I don't know if you knew that, not because of what was going on in Washington, D.C., but because they were watching them on their phone. <laughs> How many of you this 4th of July got to see everybody else's 4th of July fireworks as well? Some of you, this is not funny for you, is it? <laughs> Come on, this is my stand up comic routine for the morning. This is good. <laughs> Go with it. Uh, I, I've, I've decided, though, that when you're watching somebody else's 4th of July celebration on their Instagram or Facebook or whatever, it's, it's a had-to-be-there moment, right? It's always a, oh, you just had to be there. Because it doesn't matter how cool they look when you're videoing them, they look the same when you're watching them. Have you noticed that? Okay, we're not having this conversation today, are we? <laughs> Some of you go, believe it. I don't like that. I don't like that you talked about that. Happy 4th of July. We are celebrating the fact, here's what we're celebrating. One, that men and women sacrifice their lives so that we can sit here today in the freedom that we have. Yeah, you clap for that. And we can believe what we believe. And we can practice what we practice, our faith in Jesus. We can talk about Jesus. We can state our opinions without fear of restitution or being put in prison. We're in other places that can't happen. This is a worthy time to celebrate. But let me also say what this weekend has reminded me of. It's reminded me of the fact that Jesus came. So our, our physical freedom is incredibly important, and we ought to be grateful it reminded me of the fact that Jesus came and it was for freedom that he set us free. Not physically, but even in the midst of bondage as a country, wherever that may be in the world, there can be spiritual freedom in Jesus. Period. He comes to set us free. And whoever the sun sets free, the Bible says, is actually free indeed. We live in a culture that thinks that we can run from God because God offers being trapped in bondage, but what we're ultimately running to is bondage when we run away from God because what God promises is freedom. And so we find ourselves as followers of Jesus often with the opportunity to live in freedom but choosing not to. And that is the travesty, to have freedom and not take advantage of it. And I'm saying that to us this morning because I want us to understand that Jesus doesn't just offer us freedom as a concept. He offers it as a life. There's an old hymn, uh, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. If you grew up singing that, you'll understand. The next line of it is, he breaks the power of canceled sin. That the sin has already been canceled on the cross. We give it its power in our lives. And he comes to break that power and set us free from addiction, from fear, from anxiety, from worry. And oftentimes his church is just as bound as the world. And so in this moment, I want to pray for us that we will experience the freedom that Jesus promises. 
and that as a church, this world will experience it through the God's church. This community, every person. So God, we just come in this moment. Sometimes, whether we realize it or not, we are bound by things that we don't even realize have a grip on us. And I just pray in this moment for those of us who have made a decision to follow you that we would step into our freedom in you. And not just conceptually, but God, we will invite you to every space of our lives to set us free, to cancel what the enemy is wanting to do in our lives, the destructive power of sin and his grip. And in Jesus' name, we claim freedom for the church for those who believe, for those who follow, and ultimately those who have yet to believe that they will see that you are a God who loves them and wants them to be free from everything this world seeks to entrap us with. God, I pray that for us. I pray that we would get to be a church that doesn't just talk about hope, but brings hope. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple weeks ago, I uh, did a message on, uh, I'm going to take a few minutes here if you don't mind before we jump in just to kind of set this up. did a message a couple weeks ago um, on being unoffendable. We live in a, a culture of offense. Everybody's offended about everything. And we're easily offended, and yet God challenges us to be unoffendable. Matter of fact, Jesus modeled it on the cross. Some of you remember that message well. We brought some people up. That was fun. And what we said, and I want you to hear this. Get this, because this is important. What we said is this. The devil's agenda for your life, his agenda, is to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible says he roams the earth like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Devour is not a positive thing. It's a negative thing. His agenda is to destroy you. His strategy of destruction is division. He wants to divide your marriage. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your relationships. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide. And the tactic he uses over every other tactic is offense. If he can get us offended at each other, he can get us divided, and he can ultimately destroy. Here's why. The fourth thing that wasn't mentioned a couple weeks back. Here's the ultimate goal of the enemy. Isolation. If he can get you isolated from everything that is good, listen to me and hear this, he gets you hopeless. And hopelessness is the exact opposite thing that God offers. Hear this. That's why as a church we have said with emphaticness and intentionality, we want to grow hope. Because God is about hope, and we have said that hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. It's fun to hear people quote that out and share that. Here's what it is. God is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do. Now, let me ask you a question. This is participatory. How many of you in this room, even though sometimes God operates outside of the box you've placed him in, you can attest to the fact that God is everything that he said he would be and does everything that he said he would do? in your life up to this point, raise your hand and keep it up. Raise your hand and keep it up. That many people can't be wrong. That's what hope looks like. You can put your hands down. And so we're stepping in here and we're saying that when we talk about kingdom over everything, we are talking about the hope that Jesus offers us. It's huge. It's incredibly important. A couple weeks ago, we launched this kingdom over everything conversation that that it's about the kingdom. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whenever Jesus spoke over 90 times, he mentioned the kingdom of God. 
He mentioned the church twice. Doesn't mean church isn't important. It just means the church is in the kingdom and the kingdom is most important. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter one, verse three, if you'll go read it when you get home, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, spends 40 days on earth before he ascends to heaven. And the Bible says in Acts chapter one, verse three, that he spent those 40 days talking about one thing, not discipleship, not programs, not the church, not evangelism. He talked about one thing. What was it? You guys are quick. The kingdom of God. Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about right now. That's what we're talking about in here. Yet last week, Charlie came and spoke. We took a break from kingdom. He did an incredible job. If you need to be a person who needs to learn how to rest and rest well, then I would challenge you to go listen. He talked about the promise that Jesus said he will give us rest, that you actually can't find it anywhere but in him, but it requires come Take up his yoke and learn. Great message, three very clear points. I didn't go back and listen to it to get those. I got those in those moments. Um, you probably won't get that same clarity today. We're just going to throw a bunch of stuff at you, so get ready. But it was good. But here's what's true. I feel like I need to spend a little bit of time before we fully dive in to what we're talking about under kingdom over everything to rehash a little bit of this to really get his understanding. Here's why. When I was young, I used to pray... I literally did this. I used to pray that while I was sleeping, God would give me the talent to play the piano. I'm just saying, anybody else ever? No? So I would pray, God, God, seriously, I want to learn. Like, I want to be able, when I get up, I want to be able to play the piano. That would be awesome if you could just and play. And so I would pray that and I would wake up and couldn't do it. And so I would pray again. I'm like, come on. Like, I, listen, I'll even give you credit, God. Like, when people ask, like, no problem. I'll say, it's all God. God did it, right? But I want to be able to play the piano. And it never happened. And here's why. Because God's up there going, it's not how it works. Now, there are people that when they learn to play, just have this special gifting for it. And you know who they are. We can name them, a lot of them. But it takes work. It takes practice. It takes time. It's an investment. There's an intentionality. There's determination. You got to fail and succeed and fail and succeed. And it's in the process that you become the great piano player that God was trying to say to me, that's what needs to happen. Listen to me. This concept of kingdom over everything and our identity being rooted in Jesus is so incredibly important, but it is going to be work to get it to go from here to here. It can't be you coming in on a Sunday and hearing something and going, that was a really good idea. It is not an idea. It is a powerful heart transformation that changes us from the inside out. Kingdom over everything is something Jesus wants to work into the core of who we are because he needs it and we need him. We need it to impact us in that way. Are you, are you hearing me, what I'm trying to say? It is not earned. We are given the kingdom. It is a gift. It is a really good gift, but there is effort then in the process of understanding what does it mean that I am God's and he is mine? What does it mean that I don't want to be in charge of my life, but I want God to have have all of my life. What does that mean? Guys, it's work. And so the reason I'm going to go back and pound this in just a little bit harder is because we need it. We need it. Stand with me. We'll go to Daniel chapter one of Daniel. Just some things that you need to know. Uh, Daniel was raised as a child of God. He was an Israelite. He was a Jewish young boy at the time. 
And so he knew who he was. Why? Because heritage. Why? Because he was taught. Why? Because he was told the great stories of God, how God parted the Red Sea, how he gave them the commandments on the mountaintop, how he fed them in the desert. He led them to the promised land. Daniel knew who God was, and because he knew who God was, he knew who he was. But Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem because Jerusalem refused to obey God, and so God allowed it. And in that moment, many of the Jewish people were taken back to Babylon as exiles in Babylon, God's people in a different culture. And that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects. By the way, God gave him the victory. Are you watching that? God let him do it, permitted him. God is always in control. The object of the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God, small g. Any God outside of the God, our God, is a small g. Then the king ordered... Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language of literature, the language of the literature and literature of Babylon. Not their culture, Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food, wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah, God's people. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Isn't this fun? But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. God had given favor. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who had ordered that you eat this food. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days... See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. God, thanks for the word. Thanks for the opportunity to open it together. And may you have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Here's the deal. We're going to be talking about cultural identity. When culture tries to speak to our identity... What I want you to understand, I'm going to share it with you before we get there because I want to spend a little bit of time talking about kingdom over everything so that this gets from our, our head to our hearts. So I'm going to, I'm going to, we're just going to keep hammering this home, if you will. Uh, but when culture speaks to our identity, the desire will always be to fit in. So you can write that down. When you let culture speak to who you are, it will always promote in you a desire to fit in. 
Now let's go to kingdom over everything. We just sang this song, and I, I love the words of this song we just sang. Here's what it said. If you're not in it, God, then I don't want it. Whew, what would a church and a people look like that would say, God, if you're not in this, I don't want it? Oh, when you understand the king, that's the kingdom prayer. If you're not in it, I don't want it. I only want what you're in. Take this whole world. Give me Jesus. That's the kingdom prayer. That's the kingdom heart. So the word kingdom in the Bible means this. Anytime you hear us say kingdom, it's his rule. It's his reign, the rule and reign of God. It is his action in your life. It is what God is doing. God is on the move. Here's what one pastor said, and I love the way he put this. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is getting his way in your life, not yours. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is getting his way, his way over everything. Whew. It's the places in your life, your family, your vocation, your church community where God gets and is getting his way. Kingdom over everything sounds like this. I don't care if it benefits me as long as it benefits the kingdom. I don't care if it benefits my family <laughs> as long as it benefits the kingdom. I don't care if it benefits my church. Last week, we had Charlie and Nicole come up and talk about they're their planting a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. TJ and Melissa are planting one in Racine. He'll be up at the end of this month. And we're looking at this church and we're saying, any of you that want to go, we want you to go. How many churches get up and try to get rid of people? <laughs> right? The church today is in decline. They're trying to get people. We're saying, we would rather you go after God than sit here disobedient. We would rather you be obedient. Because as long as you're obedient to God, it's kingdom over everything. It's why the umbrella is there, by the way, if you were wondering. It's kingdom over everything, which means, hey, if you're in the kingdom, then you're with us. And you may be going to Knoxville, but you're still part of the family. I don't care if it benefits my church. I don't care if I'm known as long as he is. I don't care if I get the credit as long as he does. I don't care because I've died to self and I'm living in Christ. The division line between your kingdom and God's kingdom will always be your ability through the power of God's spirit to step out of selfishness into selflessness. The dividing line is always going to be us. When am I ready to lay me down so I can find Jesus? Because I know that when I find Jesus, I find me. Whew. Let's keep going. I'm going, to, I'm going to share this with you because I think this, this is something that we haven't processed yet. But the kingdom posture, if you will, is that we hold everything loosely. The kingdom posture is that we hold everything loosely. It's open-handed because the moment you live life closed-handed, not only will you lose it all because you'll squeeze it out of existence, but God can't pour anything new in. And his resources are so much greater than yours. So here's what it is to be kingdom-minded or kingdom over everything. It's seeing your time, talent, and treasure as kingdom resource, not Dave's resource. Now, that was real easy for all of you because I just owned it. Now let me put it back on all of us. It's seeing everything you have, time, talent, and treasure, not as your resource, but God's resource. Kingdom resource. Everything, God, everything we have, we have because God's given it to us. Everything keep going. It's actually the exact opposite of the American dream that says, 
make sure that you do everything possible to gain everything you can possibly gain because at the end of the rainbow is a pot of gold. Bull. I've talked to people that got there. And it can't keep the promise it makes that happiness comes when you achieve everything the world says is good. The only way happiness comes is when you achieve what God says is good. And you find a joy. And so as a church, we put a flag in the ground and said, death to the American dream, it's costing us too much. It's the pursuit of self. It's the pursuit of things. It's the pursuit of happiness, a promise that if you'll just do this, 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 and this, and by the way, a lot of good things have to happen in there for that to happen, then you will be happy, and it's a lie. And it's caused an opiate crisis. It's called out-of-control addiction. We are at a high of mental illness that we've ever been as a culture. It's costing us marriages. It's costing us relationships. Has anybody noticed the cost? So we've said, God, it's yours. It's talking about kingdom identity, kingdom transformation, and ultimately kingdom generosity. Let me unpack that really quick for you. You can write those down if you want. When I understand my kingdom identity, and Jesus is the durable core of my life. Let me help us get this, please. When you understand that Jesus is the only one that can sit at the core of your identity, that's it. And here's why. If you let a person or an idea or a desire or a goal or a dream to sit at your durable core, it will not be able to handle the pressure that life brings it and it will fail you. And so when it does, we find ourselves in depression, ready to die, ready to, to, everything falls out from under us. The only reason Jesus is the only one that can give you our identity and sit at your durable core is because three things need to be happen right there. One, it needs to be somebody who can never let you down. Jesus never lets us down. We just stood up, we just raised our hands and confessed to that. He will always do what he says he's going to do. The second one is it has to be something that doesn't base everything on performance. We live in a culture of performance. And we will fail at some point. And when we fail to perform, and Jesus said, you actually can't perform, so I will perform for you. He goes to the cross, to the grave, and is raised to life. And he gives us this relationship. He takes the performance out of it. That's why he gets to sit at our durable core. The last one is, it's got to be somebody you want to be like in every way. And there's only one person in this world, in this universe, that we want to be like in every way. Because every one of us are human and we have faults and we will let each other down. And the moment we do, we lose our identity because we've let something else sit at the core of our life. Jesus has to be our durable core. He's the only one that can be. So when you know your kingdom identity and Jesus is your durable core, and so therefore if you fail as a husband and wife or a mother or father or a child or a friendship or, or, or a business person, it doesn't matter. It doesn't shake your life upside down because Jesus is right there, and so I still have Jesus, so I still have my joy. I just got to figure something new out, and he's going to teach me something while I walk through it. And that produces kingdom transformation. Why? It's inside out, not outside in. Religion tells you that if you change your behavior long enough, you can change your heart. Jesus said, I had to come because you can't change your heart. And so Jesus comes and he gives us his heart. And when we see transformation from the inside out, it's when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and shows us what it looks like to be like Jesus. And we give our lives to that and we begin to look like Jesus. And that changes the world. It changes your families. It changes your church. And that leads to kingdom generosity. Man, when the church becomes generous, when we're giving away 90% and holding back 10, what will the world be like? What will the world be like to see everything that we have? See, greed says what comes to me must be for me. 
And so we spend it all. We even spend it past our ability to pay it back. It's called no margin. And then when God comes and says, I want to use you, we've got no space to be used. Kingdom generosity says, what comes to me must not be for me. So I want to shrink the bottom line as God increases what comes in. And that creates a space for kingdom resource. What would happen when we begin to see it like that? Kingdom mentality produces generosity, not random acts of giving. It's holding loosely. It's kingdom over everything. It's saying as an individual, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to come into the kingdom of God and be in the rule and reign of Christ, and he's got all the answers. It's knowing that as a family, it's not about my family, but it's about the kingdom of God, and so I'm going to bring my family into the rule and reign of God because I want God to be the ruler and reigning of our lives. Listen, to stand outside of as a family is to think arrogantly enough that we got this. You ever try to put your family under an umbrella and then walk? You know what happens? People get wet because we think that we can protect them enough in our rule and reign, but you can't. It's like taking your family on top of the kingdom and putting up there thinking that you've got what it takes, but it's coming under and saying, I actually don't need to worry about protection because not only does he rule and reign, but if he rules and reign, he protects, and nobody protects like the king of the universe. Nobody. This is still my introduction. Some, Some of you are like, you're awful kingdom over everything, over me, over family, over vocation, over church, over social status, over cultural relevance, over alternative false identities, over my will, over my wants, over good intentions. Church following Jesus is and has always been about being all in, not partially. See, you can't submit just partially to the kingdom because if you do, then there's a piece of you that's left in the rain. And if it's left in the rain, the enemy will come and get a beach hold. And if he gets a beach hold, he'll pull you right out. He'll keep you down. He'll stay in control. He'll keep you from being everything God wants you to be. One thing defines us, God, his rule and reign. One thing and one thing only can define us. His kingdom in our lives has its way. Literally, if I boil this down, it's being a bunch of God pleasers instead of people pleasers. I'm so sick of being a people pleaser. (sighs) Aren't you? Aren't you just tired You never do it enough. Somebody's always getting offended. Someone's always upset. Someone always wants more. Except God. Just want to be a God pleaser. That's what we're talking about. Kingdom over everything is living a life that's just about pleasing God. It's coming under the rule and reign of God with a posture of I'm holding loosely. And so I spend my time here and I say, God, I surrender. And hey, by the way, in this posture, you may have to do some deep dives into my heart because there's some things you probably don't like for me. And, and here's what it is. Can I just tell you what it is? It's not God showing you how bad you are. It's showing, him, showing you how good he is. God doesn't point things out in our life to tell you you're bad. He points them out to say, why are you settling when there's kingdom stuff for you, where the resources are unlimited? I'm yelling at you. It's because I'm excited. 
his kingdom in our lives. What informs your identity has authority. That's why we're talking about a culture because for many of us sitting in here, probably most of us, culture informs too much of our identity. And if culture is informing your identity, then culture has authority in your life. And I don't think we want culture to have authority because it was never given authority by God. Therefore, it doesn't actually have it. And so we're living in a false life, a false assurance. There's only one who's been given authority. He said, all heaven and earth has been given to me. And he invites us into the journey. Watch this movie clip. My name is Augie Pullman. I know I'm not an ordinary kid. I mean, I do ordinary things. I just don't look ordinary. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. You are not ugly, and anyone who cares to know you will see that. If they stare, let them stare. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. Wonder. So something new just stood out. Do you love when you watch something a hundred times, like something new? How many have seen that movie? Yeah, how many of you free cried during that movie? It's like you're, you're like lots of bawling moments, crying moments. Yes, yeah, not all of you. It's great. Um, can I, pet peeve moment, can I just share one? We all have them. My pet, I'm so tired of living in a culture of likes and dislikes. Oh, I'm about to. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Now, how, how stupid is it to just be so caught up in what I like and don't like and like that and just like that? And it, what have we created with that? It's so, it's so bad. You know, it's interesting. We, are so, we have such a desire to be liked. Um, and when I say fit in, by the way, some of us, I think, in these moments will go, well, fit in. I don't, I don't really care. I'm an individual. That no, we're actually not. When I say fit in, I'm actually talking about a desire to be accepted, a desire to be liked, a desire to be approved of, a desire to be loved. All those things are, go with fitting in. What in the world have we done with this whole like and dislike culture? Do you know that they compare when an Instagram post or a Facebook post gets a certain amount of likes and goes viral, they compare it to a cocaine high? Cocaine. Likes. What are we doing to ourselves? And so in, in, in this, this, this decision that somebody is ugly or not, liked her, and the, the sister steps up. This is beautiful. She goes, if they stare, let them stare. You can't. This is the new thing that stood out. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. And when, when she says that, I don't know if you're watching the movie, I'm like, what? That's awesome. Like, I love that. Like, he had to feel so good. You see how he's feeling? He feels good. And they go, I think I paused it. I'm watching it with a family. I'm like, kids, listen. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. This is good. You can't blend in when you were just unbelievable. Why do I resonate with that? And why do many of us in the room resonate with that? Because it's what we were designed for. It's how God designed us. You resonate with it because you were created with it. But guess what we do our whole lives? We work for the opposite, to fit in. Everything we do, some element of culture is influencing us. If they stare, let them stare. Why does that set so well with us? Why do we resonate with it when standing out is better in our culture, in every culture, we desire more than anything to fit in, 
So much so that we let culture define us. We actually let culture give us our identity when culture was never, ever given permission to do so. It's even a thing, by the way, cultural identity. Did you know that? It's a thing. It's a thing. Like, here's how you know if something's a thing, if it's in Wikipedia. (laughs) Yep. Here's what Wikipedia says cultural identity is, because it's a thing. Cultural identity is the identity or feeling of belonging to a group. It's part of a person's self-conception and self-perception and is related to nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality, or any kind of social group that has its own distinct culture. Do you know what every one of those things have in common that I just read to you? They all fail. All of them. They're man-made. Cult, it goes on to say, cultural and ethnic identity is a subject of the communication theory of identity. Ha, bet you didn't know. That establishes four frames of identity that allow us to view how we build ourselves. You're in charge. And you get to build yourself. What? Does that bother you? Does that make you mad? When Jesus comes along and says, I will actually give you your identity as a gift. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. Matter of fact, you can't. But we live in a culture that's trying to help you build yourself. Let's go, let's go a little bit deeper because this is, this is good. These frames include the personal frame, enactment of the communication frame, relationship frame, and communal frame. And the communal frame refers to the cultural constraints or the sense of right that people live by, which varies by culture. That's safe. Therefore, cultural and ethnic identity become central to a person's identity, how they see themselves and how they relate to the world. Here's the claim. Cultural identity becomes central to a person's identity. It's culture that influences identity, not God. Listen, there are some really good things about culture and what it does in us and for us, whether that's family or social. But let me, let me, let me share this. Hear me. This is really this is big. What is good about what culturally has given us is always kingdom truths because all good things come from God. He's the creator of it. But more bad stuff builds a shell around us. More things culture gives us, weighs us down, and keeps us from knowing and understanding who we are because of whose we are, because it has a hold on you, because you're addicted to it in some way. Your self-conception, self-perception comes from nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality, and social group, not your creator who made you in his image. All that we experience outside the kingdom works more against us than for us. Culture has the ability to inform only a false identity, not a kingdom Jesus identity. At the root, see, let me, let me, real quick. I know for some of us, um, 
a talking head for 45 minutes is really hard to listen to. Okay, me specifically. I get bored with myself sometimes. <laughs> and I'm up here talking. And it's not ideal. I get that. I wish it was ideal. Don't tune out. You need to get this. About to uncover, I think, one of the enemy's greatest schemes. This will be a, a mind-bender but a heart-changer. I need you to stay with me. Elbow the person next to you if they're sleeping. Whatever you got to do, listen to me. At the root of an identity built around culture. <laughs> that's good. Some of you are actually doing that. At the root... <laughs> And, and, and I'll be done on time. Just, just let me. L- l- <laughs> now I won't. At, at, the, at the root of an identity built around culture, at the root of an identity built around culture is the overwhelming desire to fit in, to be liked, to be noticed, to be loved, to be accepted, all of those. And at the core... So if you want a litmus test to where you find in your identity, wherever that desire is being met by something other than Jesus is where you're broke. Just so you know, the need to fit in is driven, hear this, by the need to belong. The need to fit in is driven by the need to belong. There's a word. I know because Wikipedia says it's a word belongingness. Listen to, the, listen to the definition of belongingness. Get ready. Belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group, whether it is family, friends, co-workers, a religion, or something else. People tend to have an inerrant desire to belong and be an important part of, of something greater than themselves. Right? There's there's one thing that you can be part of that can be greater than yourself, and it's called the kingdom. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. It's called what God is doing. It's called his story. You can walk away from God, and you can go tell your own story, but it will be smaller than the smallest story in God's story that he's inviting you to be part of. I mean, the desire to belong, this just makes me mad. Can I be mad? Can you get mad? I don't know if it's even okay, but listen. (laughs) Jesus put the belonging desire in us. Why? Because he's building a family. His inheritance, and he's inviting the world into this relationship with him. And so he said, listen, you don't have to do anything to belong. Just believe. And I'm going to give you the belonging as a gift. And the devil comes along, and he says, you want to belong? It's going to cost you everything. Why have we sold out to that? To belong to something that will fail and let us down and make us perform. And not what we want to fully be when Jesus has come and said, you can have it. And you can be part of my family that I'm building. And I want to get inside of you and make you new. And change you from the inside out. And use you as a voice to change the world. 
Fitting in is costing us what it really means to belong. We receive everything. We'll sacrifice everything that is the kingdom just to belong. At the root of identity, listen, at the root of an identity built around culture is the overwhelming desire to fit in, but at the root of an identity received from God, by the way, the kingdom identity is received, cultural identity is built. Good luck. At the root of an identity received from God is the overwhelming desire to look like Jesus. Why? Because you already belong. You already belong. We read in the beginning Daniel. Daniel's in exile. Daniel's a child of God being thrust into a culture that doesn't look like his. That doesn't look like the kingdom that he was raised in. I want you to get this. Jeremiah, the prophet, who's not in exile, he's in Jerusalem, sends this letter to the exiles. Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. The best thing we can do for the country we live in is pray for it and its leaders. Whether we like it or not. And that's what's being said. And so three things I want you to understand about what Daniel did in the culture in which he was in that was different than his, that if we don't get, we will never understand kingdom. I'm going to give them to you really fast. Write them down. The first one is you have to stand on truth. You cannot be defined by the culture. You have to stand on what you know to be true. This idea of participating, Jeremiah said, God is asking you to participate. I want you to get this. Participate in means the same as be in the world, but not of the world. Don't let the world make you like it. Be in it as a representative of the kingdom. So to participate, listen, participating in it didn't mean being defined by it. Participating in it, it meant standing on truth. They tried to give Daniel a different name. Belshazzar instead of Daniel. Do you know what Daniel did with that? <laughs> He's just like, you, you know what Daniel means? God is my judge. Not you, not the culture, not the world, not your stupid dislike. There's my pet peeve coming out again. My mom would be so disappointed I said stupid. None of that. He said, you can call me anything you want. My name is Daniel. Why? Because of whose I am. I am God's. God is my judge, not you. You participate in it by not letting it define you. Stand on who you know you are. The second thing, you participate in it didn't mean compromising who you are. It's standing up. They're standing on his truth and standing up for his truth. Don't compromise. Stand up. They were offered food that they knew would defile them that God had said, do not eat. And so Daniel goes to the guy bringing the food and says, hey, dummy, listen, we're not eating this stuff. How dare you try to feed it to us? You're going to take it away. You're going to bring us what we want. And if not, I don't care if you get beheaded because we're right and you're wrong. And so you go ahead and do whatever has to be done. We'll see the new guy that comes in because you got beheaded, but give us the food we want. Is that what he said? No. That's what the church does in culture, though, doesn't it? 
he stepped up and he said, hey, is there any way we could do this differently? Because we're not going to defile ourselves. And the guy said, if we do it differently, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be beheaded. And he said, well, let's try this. I know that God is going to honor this. And let's do it this way. And the guy said, okay, let's try it. We've got to come in love to the culture in which we live in, but we've got to be willing to be undefiled. I'm sure at some point, had he refused, Daniel would have had to make a bigger stand. He will do that later in chapter 6. But in that moment, Daniel walked into culture, not of it, but in it, and said, this is how it needs to be done, and had a civil conversation. It's time the church started having civil conversations. Last one. Stand on, stand up, stand out. Don't fit in, stand out. Participating for Daniel didn't mean fitting in. It actually meant standing out. King Nebuchadnezzar honored God and the whole culture honored God because Daniel refused to compromise and refused to be defined by anything but God. King Nebuchadnezzar was replaced by a defeating army by King Darius. You ready for this? King Darius was, was told, you, you should listen to Daniel. And so Daniel had prominence even under King Darius, but the people didn't like him that were under him. And so they said to the king, you should change the law and for 30 days tell, you, tell people you can't pray to anybody but you, knowing that Daniel would, would disobey. Why? Because God is his judge and nobody else. And nobody's going to tell us that we can't pray to God or we shouldn't pray to God. And so Daniel prays to God. Well, they tell on him that he's praying and breaking the rule. And so the king has to throw him into the lion's den. You with me now? Daniel in the lion's den. The king comes that morning after Daniel was there all night and said, Daniel, please tell me that the God has, God has, uh, your God has saved you. And Daniel said he did. He actually shut the mouths of the lions. It's pretty cool. You should come down. They pull Daniel out. And they take everyone who told on him and their families and threw them in, and the lions ate them all. And the king said, from this moment forward, we will serve the God of Daniel. Standing out makes a difference. I was talking to Chris Baker. He was here first service with Inc. 180. Chris is uh, super good friends with, the, uh, with uh, I believe it's the bass player of Corn, Brian Head Welch. Brian is a believer. Several of the players on Corn are not. And Chris was telling me that he talked to the lead singer who's not a believer and said, how come you don't play some of your older stuff? Here's what the singer said. He said, because we respect Brian and the other, the other guy on, on, in the band who's a believer, we won't play those things out of respect for them because they're dark and they're not, they're not about things they believe. Their standing out made a difference. She said, you can't blend in when you were born to stand out. When you're living kingdom, you actually can't. If you're fitting in, there's something wrong. The church looks so much like the world, people are confused about what the church is. Because we've worked so hard to fit in, they can't tell us apart. Stand up, stand on, stand out. Here's what we need to learn from this story. When you belong to God, when the kingdom is over everything, you will have a greater impact on the culture than the culture has on you. You will no longer be defined by what culture says, but what God says. And at the center of all that is true in the deepest places of your heart, you will want to please God over everyone and everything. You don't need to fit in when you already belong, church. You won't need to fit in. You'll want to lean in because you stand out so you know what it means when they're impacted by the love of God. You stand out because you're not looking to belong because you already do. Boy, people like that can be bold, can't they? And because of Daniel's boldness, because he knew whose he was... God's favor was upon him, and because of that, the kingdom had influence in a different culture. 
identity can't start with self. It must start with God. The most significant question in understanding personal identity isn't who am I? So tired of that question. That's the question culture is asking. I'm almost done. Stay with me. You have to stop asking who am I and start asking whose am I? Because if you're not God's, you're somebody's. But if you're God's, he's told you clearly whose you are. And it will inform everything else. Because you will be being changed and transformed from the inside out. Thinking about it this way may be the most important adjustment that we can make. And until we make that change, whose am I? We endure and experience constructed identities rather than received identities. And these constructed, built identities contribute to the building of false identity in our our lives. Listen, we all deeply want to matter and last and fit in and be liked and talked about and famous. But... Being known and named by God gives our identity lasting significance. This is the secret to a stable, lasting, and significant identity. The alternative is to be lost in obscurity forever. What you think you're gaining through the culture, you're actually losing. Let me close with this illustration. A lot of images today. That's just how I learn. When man and women were created in, in the beginning... They were created in the image of God, his image bearers. When they looked at themselves, though they didn't have a mirror, this came later. They saw the image of God. They were perfectly confident in who they were because of God. Image bearers, God's image bearers. But here's what happened. The devil comes along and he flips the identity and he says, here's what you can actually do. He says, you can actually make your own and I'm going to help you. You can be your own gods. And in that moment, What Adam and Eve do is they take the identity God's given them and they reject it to do their own thing. And in rejecting it, we become broken. And so the enemy of our soul loves this state, loves to convince us that he can help us fix it through the culture and through other means. And so all you need to understand is that, hey, you just got to fit in. And so we take the broken piece that is us and we try to fit in. What are we fitting into? Something broken. I mean, when you, when you look at yourself, you're, you're disfigured, awfully disfigured. And you just want to be a fit-in piece in a broken culture? That's all, that's all it becomes. And we work really hard, I guess, okay with this part of ourselves. Trying to fit into something that's broke. But Jesus comes and he dies on a cross and he rises from the dead. And to anyone who would believe, he says, Let's try again. I've come that you might see yourselves for who you are. Because whose you are. And so if you believe, then you'll belong. And you'll get an opportunity to look at who you were designed to be. Every gift and talent and desire God places 
in us for his honor and his glory, and we begin to see it in the light of God. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount and what a kingdom person looks like, we begin to say, God, make me look like that. And we look at Jesus in the New Testament, and we see how he acts and behaves. We say, God, you got to make me like that. And when you, when you get this, you can't wait to get into the kingdom. This is the kingdom, a whole healthy identity. Isn't it amazing? We choose this over this. Stand with me. Some of you sitting here are going, you just broke a mirror. <laughs> nope, I didn't break a mirror. I broke three. <laughs> Third service. Thank you. Just so you know, your angst is a cultural angst. Don't even know how deep this stuff goes, do you? But many of us would have refused to do that because of seven years of bad luck. Yeah, if this is your world, it's actually 21. This is my world. I don't believe in bad luck. I believe in Jesus. And I believe when things in my life get bad, Jesus gets really good. He teaches me some huge things. You're actually more attractional, which, again, when we're trying to fit in, we just want to be attractive to the place we're trying to fit in. You're actually more attractional when you don't fit in. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Can we stop lifting ourselves up and start lifting up Jesus? Because when you look in that mirror, Jesus is looking back. And the reflection doesn't need to be you. It needs to be the Jesus in you. And everything that he has made to you with Jesus as part of it is huge and different. How many in this room would say, you know what? I would like to be fully defined by God and not by this culture in every way. Just raise your hand and say, man, that's me. I think it's wise, I think it's godly, and I think it's kingdom. The rule and reign of God, not anything else. God, we want the authority of our lives to be you. And so we just pray in this moment that you would come through the power of your Holy Spirit and give us strength. Strength to see where culture is informing us and the desire is to fit in so that we can belong. And the ability to cling strongly in our own weakness, because you are strong, to this belonging that we already have. Part of a grand story that is better than anything we could do alone. And I pray you would lead us as kingdom people, kingdom families, kingdom church, kingdom friendships, kingdom life into every place we go. And that it would be transformed because of how we see ourselves, whose we belong to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you all. Have an incredible week. See you next week.